Hey, everybody. Before we get into the podcast, I want to talk about a really exciting, awesome new sponsor of the show, my good friends Joe and Kyle over at Psychedelics Today, which is an amazing podcast providing uh, excellent information and education and uh, on harm reduction and psychedelic medicines. They have great guests on every week talking about these very, very important topics. So I highly recommend going to check that out. And uh, today we're going to talk with Kyle. He's joining me right now from Psychedelics Today about their new course, Navigating Psychedelics. And in my opinion, from what I've seen, it's, uh, it's really just a comprehensive uh, overview of getting started in psychedelics, what, you know, the kinds of questions that one might have, the kind of information. So it's a great resource, and I'm really, really super happy and excited to be promoting this. I think it's going to be really beneficial to a lot of people. So Kyle, thanks for joining me today to talk about uh, this amazing work that you and Joe have put together, uh, Psychedelics Today and Navigating Psychedelics. Yeah, thanks for uh, having me here. Yeah, so navigating psychedelics, uh, lessons on self care and integration. Uh, it's a pretty much a 101, 102 psychedelic course. Um, Joe and I put it together from like years of experience of working with these states and also really integrate a lot of our training in holotropic breathwork and our, our time studying that. So the course really just is a nice arc. Um, starts off with preparation, what are psychedelics, um, go over harm reduction techniques, testing, safety. Um, and then we get into what is the psychedelic experience. Um, and we kind of have this nice metaphor of, you know, um, a space expedition, right? So what's the preparation like? Um, what is that experience when you kind of get out there in the psychedelic realm? So we go over um, our, a framework that, that we like to use for understanding these experiences. Um, comes from Stan Groff, who is a um, pioneer in LSD research um, and uh, and transpersonal psychology. He's been studying this stuff for a long time. And then we, on the descent back down, we talk about self-care. How do, you, how do we take care of ourselves after an experience? And then the integration process. How are we moving our, these experiences or these insights forward into our daily lives so we can make some change? And so <clears throat> the course is jam-packed with material. We have 13 or 14 uh, master classes um, that include interviews, with experts that have been providing integration in the field of psychedelics. Um, and it comes with a bunch of great resources. Uh, we have a trip journal, an integration workbook, um, which actually you can get a physical copy on Amazon, but um, the, we have PDF downloads in the course. Um, we have some music playlists, uh, a, a brief little breathwork introduction, and tons of tools and, and techniques and interviews. It's really a jam-packed course. Yeah, that's awesome. I mean, it's it's just so great to see you guys putting this together. I know that it can benefit so many people, and through your experience, um, you know, this is you're a student of of these uh, transpersonal uh, psychology and you know the holotropic breathwork practices and learning from Stan Groff. You know taking yours and Joe's experience as well as the the information and education that you've learned and, and are now sharing from others it's uh it's really awesome and uh yeah it's just it's so beneficial because there's so many questions out there and everybody's experiences are different and there's a lot of harms and there's a lot of dangers and there's a lot of what should we look for and what should we avoid and in my opinion it seems like you and Joe are right on the leading edge of providing the best updated most well vetted and um, 
educational resources out there. So yeah, I highly recommend people going to check this out. I'm going to have a link in the show notes that you can click on and it will take you directly there. Uh, If you want to go check out their website, it's Psychedelics Today. And like uh, Kyle was just saying, great introduction to what psychedelics are, to their background, um, to the preparation and safety uh, and reducing harm and having a nice, respectful journey in this process. Um, So Thank you, uh, for Kyle, for coming on and explaining that. Uh, any Anything else that people should know about the course or where to go or anything else that you want, would like to add? Yeah, Joe and I uh, like to say it's the course that we wish we had when we were younger, exploring um, non-ordinary states of consciousness. And so, um, yeah, it's just everything we've put together from our own personal experiences and also academic career. Um, you know, I did an undergrad in transpersonal psychology and really took a lot of time analyzing and studying these states of consciousness. Um, And also, yeah, I think, you know, one of the main goals that we like to emphasize about this course is to maximize the benefit and reduce the harm. So keeping people out of um, jail, out of hospitals, and hopefully really maximizing your potential if you are going to engage in this. So really taking a harm reduction approach here, and we really just want people to stay safe. Excellent. Yeah, this is an in- invaluable uh, resource, guys. And, you know, when working with uh, these medicines or, you know, when just enjoying them recreationally, there's a lot of things that can come up. And um, and these guys, in my opinion, have put together something truly amazing here, and I'm happy to share that with the Mycadelic crowd. So please go check that out, Psychedelics Today. I'll put the link in the uh, show notes. And um, yeah, and, and, and check out their podcast. And also, uh, if there's extra support that's needed, I know that uh, you guys offer that as well. So uh, thanks. Thanks again, Kyle, for sharing that. And, um, and yeah, and uh, look forward to uh, continuing on this journey and, and hopefully giving people the best uh, advantage that they can have when navigating this realm. So perfectly titled course, Navigating Psychedelics, uh, Lessons in Self-Care. Go check that out, guys. Uh, thank you so much again, Kyle and, and Joe, for putting this together. And thanks for coming on, Kyle, to, to talk about it. Thank you. Welcome back to a brand new episode of Mike Adelic. I'm Mike Brangatelli. If you're listening to this podcast on Friday, April 19th, I wish you a very happy, happy and healthy and safe bicycle day, the day when Albert Hoffman first intentionally dosed himself with LSD and rode his bicycle home in Basel, Switzerland. He took the first uh, LSD trip known to mankind, the first synthesized uh, LSD trip, and rode his bicycle. And uh, thank you, Albert Hoffman, for creating such a wonderful, beautiful substance uh, that has brought joy and bliss and happiness to many people. So happy psychedelic Christmas to everybody out there. And what better day to uh, release um, a podcast uh, with such a, a luminary, such a profound uh, healer, Mr. Hamilton Souther, back on the podcast. Hamilton Souther was on the show not too long ago, and 
Uh, Hamilton's just such a great guy. I'm, I'm really developing a, a good friendship here with Hamilton. I, I really, really enjoy speaking with him. I could talk to him all day, every day for hours. Um, and I, uh, I would love to go down to Blue Morpho and visit. You know, when I first was looking for retreat centers to go to, uh, before going to the temple, um, it was that my top three choices were Spirit Quest with Don Howard, uh, Blue Morpho with Hamilton and Temple uh, that I heard about from Amber Lyon, Jeremy Narby, Gabor Mate. And so uh, I couldn't get any spots. They were all filled up, but these other ones, the Temple was even filled up, but magically a spot opened up. So I wound up going there and I kind of had just, you know, stuck with the Temple. But uh, I would love to get down to uh, Hamilton Souther's Blue Morpho Retreat Center outside of Iquitos in Peru. And uh, Hamilton and I were talking after the podcast, and we were thinking, if there's there's people that are interested in participating in ayahuasca ceremonies that are out there that listen to this show, uh, that maybe we can uh, all go down together and have a real group, community, mycadelic, blue morpho uh, retreat. And that would be really wonderful. I would really, really enjoy doing that very much. So message me if you're interested, and uh, let's see if maybe we can make that happen. I think that would be a, a very... Uh, wonderful experience, um, and I would enjoy that very much. So, Hamilton Souther, back on the show. Love this guy tremendously. He's just uh, such a kind, generous, wonderful uh, person who's just brilliant, and uh, yeah, one of the wonderful luminaries of our day. And uh, like I said, no better day to release this episode than on Bicycle Day uh, to commemorate the the psychedelic explosion into the culture and a, a birthing of a new form of, of consciousness, a new idea. I think it was Daniel Pinchbeck maybe that said this on the podcast a little while ago, talking about how the atom bomb, the nuclear uh, warheads and uh, weapons, uh, the nukes that we developed and LSD were both developed around the same time. And since this point in time, we've been in this like yeah, you know, these two paths that have been going, uh, we've been following these these two paths. There's one path of uh, scientific uh, material externalizations that are being formed coming out of a fearful paradigm, being birthed out of a, a very dark age, egoic consciousness, technology, force, aggression, occupation, war, destruction. And at the same time, you had a whole new uh, uh, consciousness uh, being birthed, being released into the ether of the of the of the newest sphere. And with the creation of LSD, you saw this other kind of uh, way of being come into existence, and we've created so much out of that too. But we still have such a long way to go. You know, we are. We are a species that is in an evolutionary process, and we're at a period of time right now that is unprecedented as far as we know. And the power of the internet has really liberated the world and really helped bring about this psychedelic renaissance that we're experiencing right now simply due to the fact that we are able to connect with each other, that we are able to see each other, hear each other, and that the other is no longer other, that we find the others and that they're not these scary, different people that present some kind of uh, uh, challenge to us that we have to 
uh, be afraid of them or that we have to be worried or that we have to, you know, listen to this bullshit propaganda that we've been being sold, that we have been uh, sold by the, uh, you know, the, the dominators, the dominator uh, forces in our society, the elite hierarchy, uh, the people that sit at the top of the hierarchy, the elites that, that control the information dissemination, that control the uh, frequency of the consciousness in which they are creating, and then, you know, dispersing to the masses. And, you know, as that frequency is created and we respond to it, we are participants in continuing to perpetuate and build this, you know, dark age, egoic, external materialization, technocratic world. Um, And, you know, human beings, we're very adaptable. We can adapt to anything. But for the first time that we know of, uh, we actually now stand at a point in time where we have a choice, where we can choose what we want to adapt to. And I believe that, you know, this course that has been set from 1943, the invention of, of the nuclear bomb and the invention of LSD, that, you know, this choice has been made. It's like, okay, where do you want to go? Which path do you want to take and walk down? And... Now, because of the internet, and you know, a lot of people, the internet is psychedelic, okay? And you know, Terrence McKenna knew this, Timothy Leary knew this, they started talking about these things way before the internet existed. They understood the power of community and connection and information dissemination, you know, the the decentralization of information, the democratization of information, people releasing themselves from the stranglehold of the centralized corporatocracy and liberating themselves through the power of the internet, which allows you to find things like this show, find other people like that are, that are doing amazing things, like the people that I've found by moving here in Denver, the Denver Psychedelic Club, the Veterans for Natural Rights, you know, the Decriminalized Denver Campaign, finding the others through the power of the internet, getting involved, and then having psychedelic experiences by forming community bonds with other people, we are now able to birth something new, new modalities and new systems from a new level of consciousness, from a different level of consciousness. I don't want to talk about it like it's a hierarchy and there's certain consciousnesses that are above others, but the, the psychedelic-minded consciousness is one of openness and empathy and compassion and respect. Um, and the things that can be born out of that, you know, rather than creating nuclear bombs and warheads and you know, apps that make us more efficient and productive workers, more obedient and compliant people who go about our lives uh, with a general you know, kind of low-level satisfaction, that we can actually use the internet, use psychedelics to come together, to form new relationships, and then to birth new ideas that will carry the vibrational resonance, the, the frequency of the, the minds that are manifesting these new modalities into existence. They will carry with them that energetic frequency uh, of compassion and openness and empathy and respect and love and care and kindness and ritual and ceremony. And so it's just a wonderful time to be alive. Um, and I believe that uh, we really do stand, you know, we are in this kind of quasi-weird 
you know, quote unquote war, if you want to see it, this war of, of information that allows people to wake up, information and connectivity that allows people to come together and to get back to nature, get back to our roots, because everybody desperately is seeking something. Uh, and our society, the, the, the dominators at the top that are uh, emitting the general consensus reality frequency to the rest of us, uh, they, you know, they offer us uh, what uh, Christopher Ryan calls, you know, consolation prizes. Okay, we're the we're the game setters, we're the rule setters. We're emitting a certain kind of frequency here of how reality is to be interpreted, and we're going to mediate this experience for you. We're going to interpret it for you. We're not going to allow you to have direct experience, but we're going to interpret this experience for you. We're going to create a world of fear so you become dependent upon our centralized uh, authority, and that then uh, rewards people who play according to the game rules. If you operate successfully within that frequency and play according to the rules of the game setters, they will reward you with consolation prizes, with, hey, here's, here's a Ferrari, red Ferrari because you worked so hard and accumulated so much money. You get to have that now. But it's, it's a replica it's a, a shitty replacement for the, the real thing that grabs your soul and it ignites your heart, sets your love on fire and makes you want to uh, just live in this feeling of just total uh, communion with people and plants and nature. And I truly believe that everybody has that deep inside of their soul. And all of the things that we see in our society is a way to try and get back to that, a way to try and get back to that. And what we're being told is if you work and you make a lot of money and you buy nice things and you're able to take vacations, that you will have that feeling come back to you, that you will feel whole, that you will feel complete. But a lot of us that are listening to this show know that that's not true. We know that there's something else out there. And the thing that is out there that is something else is a whole new way of existing. Uh, the keys to, to, to creating a new game that makes the old one obsolete. And this is why, you know, psychedelics are illegal. This is why things that are, you know, this is why there's rules and regulations that are sent down by the dominators because they don't want us to have direct experiences that liberate us from the power structure, from the centralized power structure. They don't want us to take our own innate birthright back and empower ourselves to be free, independent, and beautiful human beings, the things that we already are as soon as we are born into this world. And that's the sort of, you know, if you want to call it a fight, whatever, that's the battle that we're in right now. And the best thing that we can do is share it, spread it. Share it and spread it and talk about it. Come out of the psychedelic closet. Talk to people about your experiences. You know, any chance you get, bring this up in conversation. Share these podcasts. Share these shows. The cat's out of the bag. It's just about sharing it and getting more people aware and involved. The more people that are aware, the more people that are educated, the more opportunities we have to poke our uh, perspective into other people's reality tunnels gently with an invitation. Hey, did you know about this? But the more opportunity we have to 
invite other people to take a look at what we're talking about over here, the psychedelic research and the therapy and you know the healing and the ceremonies and the rituals and plant medicines and the history. The more opportunities that people have to be exposed to that, the more people are going to say, oh, that's interesting. Let me take a look at that. But it needs to poke and pop into some people's reality tunnels. Robert Anton Wilson talks about these things. Reality tunnels, it's basically everything that you know from your experience, you know? So, for example, myself, I was able to learn about Steve Jobs and how he talked about taking LSD was one of the most profound moments of his life. But I was already, I was ready and set up to receive that, that transmission. But there's people out there that are not able to receive that transmission. And, you know, we look at a, a lot of uh, underprivileged uh, communities and underrepresented people. And, you know, these people, they don't have access to the same radio signals that I'm getting or that you're getting. And the more that we share this, the more that we spread this, the more that we include everybody, every representation of human beings into this movement, the more that increases the chances to pop into somebody's reality tunnel and say, hey, take a look at this. The more it becomes, it seeps into the culture, the more we have an opportunity to, to lift people up, the more we have an opportunity to collaborate with each other and create new modalities to birth new systems out of an evolved state of consciousness that then can take us into a better world, a world in which that we want to live in where we feel complete and whole and, and fulfilled and satisfied from our heart space, one where there isn't a uh, technocratic dominator elite that's trying to keep us asleep and is trying to mediate and interpret our experience for us. Decriminalized Denver is doing this here in Denver. They are trying to get psilocybin mushrooms decriminalized. This is a first step to many great things, but this is taking back the right to heal from nature, our innate birthright. Nobody has the right to tell us what we can and cannot put in our bodies, and that's what we have been told, and we've been in this sort of dark age of humanity, but now the internet is liberating people, waking people up, and psychedelics, getting back to nature is helping do that. And Hamilton Souther is one of these guys who is front and center in this, in this uh, information dissemination, in this healing journey. He's a master shaman, owner of Blue Morpho in uh, Quitos, Peru, and uh, uh, does many other things that we're going to hear about on this show. And just, uh, again, such a pleasure, such a joy to, to talk with him. And uh, that's pretty much it. Uh, you heard the ad for Psychedelics today. They're offering Navigating Psychedelics course. Check that out. Um, follow Hamilton Souther on Instagram. Follow Mikeadelic, Mikeadelic underscore podcast on Instagram. I try and put out a lot of stuff on there. And um, support the Decriminalized Denver campaign. Let's make this thing happen. Let's, let's manifest this into being. Let's really envision how the world could be in our minds, find other people that match that vision, and then work together to bring that reality about so that we can create a new model that makes the old model obsolete. All right, a couple sponsors, Psychedelics Today, Hemp Bombs. Go to hempbombs.com, put in the code MIKE15. Uh, you get 15% uh, uh, off CBD products that are great. Helps me go to sleep. They have amazing stuff there. And um, 
Synchro. Go check out Synchro Keto and nutrition products at Synchro. Put in the code uh, Mikeadelic at Synchro and get 20% off there. And uh, if you like the show, please support the show by leaving a rating and review. And uh, also on, on Apple Podcasts or wherever you can leave rating and ratings and reviews. And if you want to go a step further, you can go to patreon.com slash Mike Brank. And you can donate as little as $1 a month, $2 a month, $3 a month, whatever you want. This is really important, guys. I am an independent uh, creative producing something here. And um, it's just me. I have no help. And uh, all of the help that I can get is much appreciated. And having said that, I will say that Hamilton Skyped in to the podcast today from Iquitos, Peru. And Iquitos, Peru is, if you've ever been to Iquitos, you know that this is a very uh, underdeveloped place. The internet connection is really, really poor. And, um, you know, there's also the fact that I have a 5G tower that got installed on my street. And I don't know if that's affecting things over here or not. But I ask you to please bear with me for this episode. There's some skips, there's some static, and I really do apologize about that. Uh, I think that, um, you know, uh, I'm going to try a, a better next time to, to, to prepare for these things, but sometimes you just can't prepare. Like I said, Hamilton was Skyping in from Iquitos, and the internet is very, very poor there. It's a very um, rundown uh, sort of area. So uh, it's, it's, uh, it's like being back in, you know, 1992. And... Um, so I, I ask you to bear with me because there's so much uh, amazing information and, and this conversation is really great. Hamilton talks about a lot of great things. So I really do apologize. You know, uh, please don't uh, go and leave uh, a review saying, oh, this podcast sucks. They're static. This, is, uh, this has never happened before in this way. I've never had this kind of static come through before. It's not too terrible, but it does come on a couple of times, so please bear with me in that. And I hope you will enjoy this podcast. I know you will. I really enjoyed it, uh, and uh, there's a lot of great stuff in there. So without further ado, happy Bicycle Day. Support Decriminalize Denver, and uh, let's uh, birth a new world out of a new consciousness. Let's hop onto a new frequency. Let's share this, spread it, and, uh, and support all kinds of uh, healing, psychedelic, uh, spiritual, consciousness-expanding activities that are going on. Thank you so much. I love you all. Hamilton Souther, everyone. Psychedelics are illegal, not because a loving government is concerned that you may jump out of a third-story window. Psychedelics are illegal because they dissolve opinion structures and culturally laid down models of behavior and information processing. They open to us the possibility that everything we know is wrong. We don't need new laws that control our consciousness and rigidly place it in a prison. Cognitive liberty. The fact that as adults, if we're not hurting anybody else, we should have the right to explore the contours of our own consciousness without any mediation or legislation on the part of somebody else. Reject authority. Authority is a lie. Information is power. But we have to seize, seize the opportunity. The opportunity. The opportunity. Um, so, Hamilton, welcome back to the show. Please tell me what's been going on with you. I saw I saw some posts on Instagram. I'm following uh, what's going on with uh, Blue Morpho Tours and, and what you're doing. I believe you're, you're in Iquitos right now. Is that correct? 
Yeah, right now I'm in Iquitos. We were just out at the lodge for the last week doing renovations at Blue Morpho. So we've been renovating the bungalows and adding decking and communal spaces and creating a new lounge and uh, continuing to work on our infrastructure. And what have I been doing? Wow. My <laughs> life is continuing to just uh, advance and blossom in our projects that we're developing. So right now I'm involved in Blue Morpho and Blue Morpho Tours and our continued expansion in our work with ayahuasca. And we're also adding now San Pedro ceremonies or Huachuma ceremonies at our lodge. That's going to be a new addition after over a day, over 15 years of practice to now bring this new medicine into our space, which we're really excited about. Oh, nice. And then I'm also involved in uh, some some interesting projects, one in the decentralization of digital entertainment, utilizing the blockchain and smart contracts and uh, tokens, virtual tokens as a way to create a fair market value between uh, digital content creators. And we're also really interested as a business group in uh, the sustainable use of secondary forests for sustainable protein uh, development and creation for and sustainable food. And so we've uh, branched out a little bit just from our sacred plant ceremonies and the work we did as a healing center and community. And we're now looking to make another impact, hopefully one that will support the continued development of the planet and humanity and also our creativity. Oh, wow, man. That's amazing. So much there to, to talk about. But uh, the last thing you said sounds really fascinating. Can you talk a little bit more about the, the secondary forests and sustainability that you're, that you're that, that project that you're working on? I'm um, really interested to, to learn a little bit more about that. Sure, yeah. Uh, the business group I work with and I came up with an idea for a company called One Energy Global. And the purpose of the company was to do invest research into green technologies and then we bring those technologies to uh, a massive audience or other cheese around the world. And so we were looking at climate change and the effects that humans have been having on the environment and um, you know something that could possibly be done. And I kept going to a place of hope instead of a dystopian attitude. And I thought, well, human invention and human creativity is what can save us from this you know, looming disaster that we're seeing. But it has to be on such ill and, and openness and imagination that it can actually impact the problems. And so we started on a series of investigations and it's part of why we're doing the remodeling at the lodge as well. We're becoming a center for scientific investigation and research in the sustainable uses of secondary forests. And of course, being in the Amazon for over 15 years, the impact that humans have on the Amazon forest is vast and much of it is destructive. But there's also a kind of land that's being created that are called secondary forests. And those are forests that are not the primary forest. It's forest that has grown back after there's been human use or human intervention. And the quantity of it is astounding. But we became very interested in how that land could ultimately be used in a sustainable way. And we've been you know, doing research on proprietary methods to bring sustainable farming and sustainable food production, as well as uh, agricultural protein production, that will hopefully, you know, be a kind of vast carbon filter 
turning it into something of greater use for us. And so the ultimate goal of the project is to be able to acquire uh, different pieces of land around the Amazon basin and ultimately put these sustainable farms on them and create food for what is a vast growing local population of people. The cities that are part of the early uh, boom movements like the rubber boom and other technology booms in the Amazon are now growing immensely. Iquitos as a city is somewhere around 500,000 and duplicating itself at an unbelievable rate. And uh, unsustainable uses or non-sustainable uses just aren't going to work. And so I've been focusing this research on how can we utilize the forest in a renewable and meaningful way and then get those products to local markets to be able to help safely and sanely provide food and sustenance for the people. Yeah, sanely, the key word there. It, it can get to a point where it's insane. And like you said, you could fall into that pit of despair of, of, of the dystopia and being like, oh my God, we're so screwed. This is so overwhelming. I mean, I definitely feel like that at times. I'm sure that, that those thoughts probably pass through your mind at, at times, but you're pushing on and creating new solutions. And, you know, really, I mean, this is, this is what we need. If, if the, the people that have imagined the things to be in what has manifested through uh, history to get to po the point where we are now, then we certainly have the talent to turn that in a different direction. And it's about, you know, people like you stepping up, creating these projects and gathering people together to collaborate on these things. And yeah, Iquitos, I mean, really having uh, sustainable food and those farms is going to be so huge. I was, I was there not too long ago, spent um, about four months uh, there and uh, I mean, it's a lovely place. It's 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 bustling, and you know, there's all kinds of characters there. But like you said, it's kind of this dilapidated old town that has an old infrastructure and definitely needs some improving and and uh, in a sane way, you know. Um, so, yeah, such an important thing. I mean, this is an extension of of doing the the plant work as well. I mean, the planet, the plant, people, we're all connected. Um, and so really, I guess what you're doing is kind of bringing that back full, full focus. Absolutely. I mean, we've been researching the forest through these visionary ceremonies and the medicinal plants extensively now for, you know, all the generations of Alberto and Julio's lineages, as well now as our own. And it's helped us reimagine and re-envision the forest. You know, we've been singing about the great spirit of the forest and its great life force. And now we're looking for ways to be able to take that knowledge, not just for people who participate in ceremonies, to be able to provide them mind expanding and healing experiences, but now also to be able to utilize those forests in another way. Yeah. You know, something that represents that same concept of sustainability. And the, the locals have lived in a sustainable balance with the environment for a very long time and uh the problem in their way of of looking at the forest and envisioning the forest and utilizing the forest is that it supports a very small population per hectare of forest itself so as long as the population stay very small there is a kind of natural balance between people and the land but as soon as the populations grow into these urban centers that's thrown out the window Right. And so that's where we're coming in and, and saying, well, there's more to be found here in these ceremonies, 
than just the visionary experiences or just the spiritual. Also, a whole way to get creative and innovative about the forests themselves, which is where that medicine comes from. Right. Yeah. And it's like, no wonder why they've been able to live so long in a sustainable and harmonic way, because they're keeping up a dialogue with the forest. You know, when, when I was there and participating in drinking ayahuasca, I mean, you really feel that connection. You really get that. It's a two-way conversation between you and, and your natural surroundings and the plants in that environment. And, you know, through that collaboration, it's really where you're able to create the things that we want to see in the world that are going to be beneficial to humanity. I think a large part of why we've ended up where we are is because of this uh, disconnection, right? I mean, we're, we're not necessarily talking to nature at the same level that maybe we once were or that a lot of the people that are living in the forest do now. Well, people always asked, you know, how did the locals, how did the indigenous people learn all this medicine, learn all these ways of utilizing hundreds and hundreds of medicinal plants? Alberto always explained to me, it was a time history where humans, plants, and animals all spoke the same language. And that during that period was this imparting of uh, knowledge between the different groups and that little by little humans distance themselves from that interconnectedness. And I don't think that language that he's referring to is like English, like a spoken language that we're speaking in now. I think it's much more like a, a consciousness language that when you're in these visionary experiences, so many people have them now where it's the veils of communication drop. There is no separation and distance between you and the forest. The forest starts to communicate with you, creating awakenings all the time. And in ceremonies itself, I think one of the most amazing things I've always heard is when even the insects and the frogs and the birds start to come into rhythm with the <laughs> yeah. ikaros that are being chanted in yeah. ceremony. And you're thinking to yourself, <laughs> wow, this started as a couple shamans with a rattle and a shakapa, you know, a leaf rattle. And now all of a sudden the crickets and cicadas and frogs and toads are all intrasynced in this, you know, and I think that that's where we're starting see how it's only a veil of separation and really an illusion and a separation in linguistics and that when we open up to this more holistic view of the plants and our communication with them that that ability is immediately awakened and the ceremonies provide that space to have that experience yeah man i i was just talking about this a couple of weeks ago with uh michael phillip from third eye drops uh about how the different kinds of uh information dissemination non-linguistic uh, you know the embodiment of understanding through all of our sensory input data points in in our bodies in our minds i think that's one of the things that often gets left out in a lot of the talk that that happens or a lot of the experiences it's like what did you see what did you know what did you learn what did you logically you know bring out of that but there's also something else there there's also the the body and how that in, interprets the experience and there's also this what you're speaking of this kind of non-linguistic form of of understanding and communication that can take place uh which is super important to to tune into you know i mean we can really kind of learn so much from that and you know the the plant medicines certainly help bring us to that that plane what do you what do you think it is that um i don't know it's it's hard to kind of put into words but i and and i guess we both kind of did you you just kind of described it but the that kind of intelligence what is that 
You know, I think the best I have for that is it's consciousness itself. And haven't really studied consciousness yet as a population. We've been studying the mind and utilizing the mind to, uh, you know, create all of these different kinds of linguistics, including mathematics as a form of language to be able to describe the world and then utilizing science in our exploration and mystics are utilizing the plants. But I think the commonality comes ultimately and the nexus between them all at consciousness itself, and that we have to open up our understanding of consciousness to including the plants and animals, that they are of consciousness and have consciousness. And what if we thought of consciousness as a great collective, um, not just a ranking who has this consciousness or that consciousness, but as a true collective, like a big field of consciousness, I see there that plants have a huge role as well as the the other animals have a huge role in the expression of just what consciousness is. And uh, in the case of the plants and humans, there's this intra-relationship in the, with the use of the sacred plants, especially in the Amazon, where you ingest the plant as a means of transferring an element or an aspect of that consciousness to you, you embody it by having ingested it. It's not just, quote, taking a drug or drinking medicine. It's actually like tapping in to a whole nother expression of consciousness that's there in the forest. And you're opening up your consciousness to that experience. As soon as that bridge is made, then this flow and an, and an inter-exchange takes place, which is actually mind-expanding or mind-altering in the sense of having new thoughts, new ideas, new imaginations, and new ways to assimilate information, which create those aha moments and uh, the learning plants are the real teachers. Right. I think that we have this uh, way of thinking, this kind of mainstream mode of thinking that if we're going to learn we go to classrooms and we learn from professors and we learn from books and we learn from, you know, scientific algorithms and math that makes sense of, of the universe and how, how we can kind of see it in our, you know, in our version of, of, of using these tools, you know, because it gives us a certain kind of understanding, but it's missing a larger piece of the puzzle. So this really comes to, you know, because I'm always amazed by for example, some of the the shamans and the healers down there, or just you know any kind of person that really discovers the the wisdom by tapping into that uh, ultimate consciousness. It's not necessarily coming from uh, books and professors and classrooms. It's coming from another place, and you can you can sense that it it lines up sometimes to some of the things that people are saying in these, in these things. And we know that Joseph Campbell, of course, talks about the mythologies that permeate the cultures and how it's all kind of connected because we are this one field of consciousness, just interpreting it subjectively in different ways. And that expression comes out in different ways. But it's, it's really amazing to me, and I know that you've experienced this, and, and you sort of em, you embody this as well. You definitely do. Uh, this sort of understanding this information coming through from the source from you know direct from the horse's mouth of the universe right <laughs> yeah you know working with alberto and julio uh in my early 20s was truly mind expanding because they taught me another way to learn you know i had been educated through western education through the university and understood the classroom and understood the role of a professor in books and the amassing of information and knowledge that way. But there was always a question uh, in my mind, 
where you went from learning what other people studied to being able to take it to another level or have your own now awakening of knowledge. And it, this idea of knowledge was, you know, super important to me. And when I met Alberto and Julio, they simply told me that it would come through the ceremonies itself. And I was kind of like, what? You're not going to tell me? You're not going to give me a lecture? You're not going to walk me through the forest? And they just said, no, drink your ayahuasca and follow the crows. And, you know, I'm like, how do you even do that? You know, what are they talking about? And then they would say to me in ceremony, once I would get settled and into a visionary state that I was comfortable in, you know, kind of through the purging and you know, the more chaotic aspects of it, then they would just say, follow me, and they would start singing. And it was, you know, the most mind-blowing and also incredible series of experiences of learning through them, because what they sang became real. Mm. And it it didn't, it wasn't, it wasn't a chant in a song. It was actually like a, a trans mutation of knowledge and a, a teleporting to another location and vision. So you knew you were in the ceremonial house in a chair, but all of a sudden in your vision, you'd be outside amongst the plants in a daytime setting, even though the ceremony's happening at night and it's all coming from their Ikaro. And then there are the plants and the introduction to the plants. They're in the vision to, you know, and then making this introduction between beings and then calling on the beings to teach. And, you know, when the way they taught me was that there was no limit to that, that you could call on literally anything and learn in that way. So I asked, you know, can you call on on our ancestors? Yes. Can you call on, uh, you know, symbols and symbology from religions? Yes. Can you talk with God? Yes. Can Can you connect with the whole universe? Yes. You know, and so there was literally no barrier that's an impossibility. If it's something you couldn't do, they would tell you that that was something you had to learn. That was like a new skill you would have to open to. And really, more than anything, that was a a kind of a test getting through your own doubt and fears and blocks to be able to open up to that level and really just receive. And in that form of receptivity to the teaching itself, that the teaching would come from plants or the teaching would come from the universe, but then you could tune in almost like a radio dial to each one of those points of intention or focus, like meditating on the plant and receiving it in ceremony or, or receiving an ikaro or talking to the whole universe and becoming a, a channel for that was all possible. And it all came to this new way of learning, which, you know, wasn't classroom. It was fully experiential and it was really true apprenticeship and came through this direct relationship with source itself. Yeah, do you, do you think that that's available for everyone? Do you think everyone has the capacity to to go through this this kind of experience? I think that humans have the ability to connect with a lot more than what we're connecting with right now. I I don't think everybody is going in their life to have the ability to have the experience simply because of circumstance. But say you could remove circumstance and everybody could participate in these kinds of experiences, uh, which for 8 billion people is just, you know, completely impossible. But if they could, I think everybody has the, the natural capacities and the natural abilities within themselves for these kinds of experiences. I don't think somebody who has these experiences is special or better than than somebody who hasn't. 
I, I think the mind and the brain is are capable as tools and the body, like you said, in ceremony is the receptive tool. We're all made of body. We all have heart. We all have brain and we all have mind. And so with that commonality between all of us, that's what we're using to have those experiences. I think what differentiates it all is really a kind of direct purpose in life, which is what governs your intention. And we don't have a very good explanation yet why people have different intentions. You know, so if you go into ceremony and you want to have one kind of experience, you have to have the intention for that experience or it probably won't happen. And, um, or at least the shamans need to be holding that intention for the ceremony. You know, so this idea of intention, I think, is a great differentiator, but the basic, you know, kind of physiological, biological capacities for these connections, I think we all share. Yeah, I think so, too. Um, I'm, I'm wondering if you could talk a little bit about sort of, you know, as ayahuasca and other, you know, medicine work, plant medicine work, Wachuma, uh, that you mentioned before, San Pedro. Um, you know, all kinds of different healing modalities. People are, are exploring these kinds of things. They're hearing about them. Um, and a lot of people are venturing and, and going to all kinds of different places all over, whether it's locally or overseas, um, to the jungle. When you're, uh, you know, entering into that space, I wonder if you could talk about sort of, you know, what makes for a good space to be held by, you know, a shaman holding a good space, you know, somebody really, you know, the work that you guys do with Blue Morpho there and some other, you know, places that are doing some nice things, but there's certain places that maybe aren't necessarily up to the task or prepared yet or doing it in the right way. Can you talk a little bit about like the difference between, um, you know, the, some of the maybe places that, that are doing things where, uh, you know, kind of what to look out for or, you know, what to look for in terms of, you know, working with these medicines and exploring this, this space, how to do it in, in sort of a safe and uh, responsible uh, healing way. Yeah, I mean, I think the, the biggest difference is what I touched on before, which is intention. And if you want to have a positive life transformational experience and you want it to be a healing experience, you know, and be really safe and responsible, then those are the qualities that you're looking for from the center or the shaman that you're working with. It's not just go drink ayahuasca or go drink San Pedro. There's this element of the plant itself and being prepared well. And then there's also the element of the shaman sharing very similar intentions or reasons for being there. And at Blue Morpho, we've, you know, kept it really simple and relatable that we're there for medicine, we're there for knowledge, and we're there to share that in the most professional, responsible way possible. If people are coming for the healing transformational aspects, that's the medicine. And if they're there for learning and growth and personal growth and development and life improvement, that's the knowledge. And that kind of encapsulates reasons for practicing. And if it depends on the sacred plant or the master teacher plant that you're working with in terms of your safety and your, your well-being based on your own health. You know, with ayahuasca, there's a lot of medications that are contraindicated. And when you take ayahuasca, you also have to have, you know, a blood pressure that is healthy and strong in case you have fluctuations in blood pressure during the ceremony itself. You have to be of enough health and and physical vigor to be able to handle what could be depending on the the medicine that you're working with or the master teacher plant anywhere from 
you know, three to, to 12 hours, or in the case of San Pedro, Huachuma, it could be up to 20 hours of, of, you know, continuous experience. And so I think those are the, the benchmarks that the people are screening and making sure that you're a safe candidate, that they themselves represent clear, very open uh, expression of what their intention is and why everybody is there for the ceremony, and then that the people coming in alignment with that intention. And honestly, at Blue Morpho, it's been very uh, kind of self-selecting. It's not something that we put a lot of control over. We just said, we're here for these reasons and these ceremonies. You know, we practice as medicine men and women that are sharing the idea of medicine with people, which is defined as this positively transformational experience from interacting with the plants and having this expanding uh, awakening kind of experience with them. That doesn't mean that the ceremonies are always that easy. There's always an element to them that can provide all different kinds of challenges or difficulty. But the idea being that the intention is very clear and that the, you know, there's commonality amongst everybody. And the people who come to Blue Morpho in general fit that commonality. And whenever we have an outlier that's not really, you know, in tune with us, they typically leave very early from our center. Right. You know, they come and they just say, well, this isn't for me or I'm not getting this or I'm not jiving with this. And, you know, nothing's forced. So whenever you have a person who comes who's having that experience, <laughs> you know, we work with them to try to to try to, you know, get them in alignment with what we're doing. But if that's not their true interest, you know, they're welcome to to find another home or look for somebody else in which to practice these kinds of, you know, plants with. And then there's lots of different experience from the visionary plants between, between ayahuasca and Wachuma, San Pedro, mushrooms of different kinds, cannabis, you know, as these great master teachers, I began, you're going to hear all of these different kinds of visionary experiences. And so I also think you know, doing some research and finding out from commonality of experience what you are connecting with and resonating with, I think, is also important. And what I tell people on ceremony is, look, we're in this together. You know, we're doing this together. So be responsible for what you put down your mouth. Yeah. Right. If you're going to drink this stuff, you're going to ingest this stuff. Take responsibility for the ingestion of these these plant teachers and have the experience, but, you know, don't blame the plant or the, the people that are sharing the plant. You're having the experience. So find re a really good place, find people that resonate with you, and then, you know, get the courage to really have the experience and then, you know, integrate that experience and take responsibility for the fact that you're making an elective decision to have this experience, knowing that it's being described as a pinnacle experience, that it's being described as a bucket list experience, that it's being described as the most intense thing that some people ever experience in their lives. This is not just a, a you know, weekend whim, oh, I'm just going to take this stuff. No, on the contrary, this is absolutely serious and needs to be handled in the most professional ways. And the participants need to take extreme responsibility for the experience themselves. This is this is also a really good point because um, you know I'm always amazed when I see people in gathering together in ceremony and coming together, um, you know, drinking a medicine together. My first time, I remember seeing just being amazed at like, oh wow, these are just like people from all walks of life. It's not, you know, this, this isn't like 
dreadlocked Burning Man people, although obviously you get that down there. But what I'm saying is there's this kind of stigma as to what a sort of spirit, quote unquote, spiritual person is or a psychedelic person is or someone that drinks ayahuasca. But my, in my experience, and I'm sure you, you, under, you see this too, you know, it's mothers, grandmothers, uh, grandfathers, um, you know, brothers, sisters, lawyers, cousins, and it's from all, just people from all walks of life wanting to seek out something because they're suffering in some way and they've heard that this can give them some kind of alleviation or at least point them in the path of that, right? And then, so this opens up to this this idea of like, sometimes, you know, we feel like, okay, maybe we need some healing or something and we go and we get it, but we don't necessarily get what we were looking for. We get it in a different way. We get it in a way maybe that we didn't expect. Now we have all this stuff to unpack and this work to do. Sometimes it can it can be challenging because it can shatter the old stories that you've been telling about who you are, this identity that you've created. So I'm sure you could share some some uh, wisdom about that because that's a that's a key part of it too. You know, approaching this healing work and this medicine, you know, it's going to release a lot of stuff, and that means that you have to you know, be willing to accept that as well and work on those areas because this isn't, um, <laughs> I don't want to disparage any other kinds of uh, healing work, but this isn't, it's, this is intense. This is real. This is pretty much as real as it can get uh, when, when opening up and really confronting yourself and the areas in your life in which improvement needs. So I'm wondering maybe if you could talk a little bit about that, about how kind of like as human beings, you know, we have these identities that we construct and these stories that we create, and sometimes they serve us, but, you know, sometimes they become these uh, unhealthy but comfortable areas. And then when we go and we drink medicine, I mean, that completely, that gets shattered. I think the ceremony is going to provide a whole new direction in the evolution of yourself. And so it's not, I'm going to the ceremony and in the ceremony alone, I'm going to have an experience and then that's it. On the contrary, the experience is the beginning. That ceremony is the actual beginning of the transformation. And so you have the ceremony, you impart the, the plants, the plants come into the body and you have a visionary experience. And through that, you have the ability to purge, you have the ability to deconstruct ego and this self-constructed identity. You get to have the opportunity to really in a state of absolute lucidity in a way that normal realities sometimes not look as real as as the ceremonies can be. So it's not like being wasted and not getting it. On the contrary, it's being like hyper lucid and super getting it, you know, and being able to put things together that you normally wouldn't be able to and assimilate information in ways that you're also not usually able to starts this whole process off. So you create space in your life by letting go of certain attachments to identity like you're talking about and then you have to embrace change you have to accept that this is an evolutionary process and not just immediately stick it back into a cycle and enhancing of that ego and that identity in the first place on the contrary you're you're coming to the ceremony saying i want help in these areas and i'm not sure what it's all connected to and the interrelationship, but I know it's representing a kind of total expression in my life. It's not just so compartmentalized. And so you, you start to unpack that and you have to embrace the change, knowing that that change could take a year or two years to fully assimilate, you know, from the ceremonies. I tell people who come to our ceremonies, if you do five ceremonies with us at Blue Morpho, get ready for at least a year of that. 
you know, yeah. and embrace that change. And, and it might be more, you know, we've had people who've done Sonongo DFs with us who write us four years later saying, will this diet ever end, you know, and the answer to that is probably not, but, you know, really embrace the transformation. This is going to continue to evolve and you're going to come to a place of stability with it, but it's not an end point. It's a, it's a continued growth from that point in those ceremonies as they become part of your life and they require integration and integration, I think mostly comes from embracing the experience and allowing the change to take place. And then you can also do different practices to help that integration, like grounding practices or cleansing practices that can also support that. But I think the, the biggest form of integration is going back to that place of personal responsibility and saying, okay, I caused this. I made the active decision to participate in these ceremonies specifically for this purpose. So instead of moving against that and getting scared and trying to shut it down, I think we need to try to relax and open up and embrace the nature of that change as much as we possibly can and continue to give it the same intention that led us to the ceremonies in the first place. Yeah, such a huge part of it. And I was talking with a friend the other night about this, um, how it's one of the, I think one of the common misconceptions around people who are uh, drinking ayahuasca or into, you know, exploring other forms of psychedelics is this sort of, you know, older um, model of the kind of checked out hippie who, you know, just is using drugs to escape reality. And in my experience, it's the complete opposite. It's deepening the connection with reality and really fully walking uh, into the realm of something that's more real than uh, I've ever experienced. And with that comes this responsibility. So in a way, that kind of misconception of, of those people uh, comes with this idea of uh, someone who's irresponsible or not disciplined or not focused or, and I'm sure, you know, those people do exist. There are people that, you know, may use psychedelics to escape things. And, you know, I hear that quite a bit. It's a lot more focused on kind of what did you see and what was, what were the colors? And while that's all important and that comes with the experience too, there's a whole other side to this, uh, to this equation. And, you know, when, when working with this, it's, it's really kind of, having to be prepared to to maybe do something that you have never done before. And in my case, that that was the truth. It was, I had failed to really kind of take responsibility in my life. So working with ayahuasca actually gave me the message of responsibility, that, that this was, this was the thing. It's, Going out, going, getting far out, you know, getting messages, getting information, you know, all this kind of stuff. But at the end of the day, really kind of embracing that and, and, and embodying that and walking that path far after the ceremony, like you said, you know. The, the ceremonies are, you know, they're not about tripping. I think that's the hardest thing for people to fully <laughs> yeah. assimilate before they have the experience. They go into it being told that this is a hallucinogen, that this is a psychedelic, that you have a visionary experience. And so they start to create an expectation around what they think this is. Right. Yeah. And when Such you an actually get into here, the yeah. ceremonies, yeah, when you get into the ceremonies themselves, uh, the, all those expectations have to go. And all your your previous archetypalization has to go. And even if you are a you know hippie who's utilizing psychedelics for the purpose of tuning out 
et cetera, per se, and you come to a real medicine ayahuasca ceremony, that's going to be reoriented. Mm -hmm. You know, that whole concept is going to be reoriented to, wow, there's more going on here than I ever knew. And I can tap into that for a whole nother purpose and a whole nother reason. Right. You know, I think the the real difference uh, between the Western concept of drug use and the concept of these ceremonies for the purposes of expansion and healing and knowledge is that they're not about drug use. Right. It's the it's the exact opposite. In fact, we use ayahuasca and San Pedro to cure people of drug use. Yeah. So that they come as an addict and they leave no longer being addicted to the other substances that were driving uh, their psyche in the first place. And in the shamanism, in the, the actual apprenticeships themselves, to really become a medicine practitioner and, and know these arts, you go through a series of attests of virtue that really are virtuous. They're virtuous in, in the same way that society all over the world considers virtue, like uh, being hardworking and having initiative and taking responsibility and stepping up into your life and becoming better at what you're doing those concepts are part of that shamanic transformation. And yeah. so instead of it being something that erodes your life and degrades your life, it's actually the opposite. It, it turns on that mind that says there is a way to improve. It turns on the mind that says I should take responsibility. And so many people have told me from these experiences that it made them a better parent. It made them a more loving parent. It made them a better person at their job or a better leader in their companies. It made them uh, more open to others and more compassionate and more loving. So if you put all that together, you know, there's nothing about that that looks like it's lacking virtue or taking somebody down a, a dark path or a bad path. You know, and that's where I think that um, that focus on medicine and that intention of healing and that expansion into knowledge is so important. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, and it's an it's an amazing thing when you experience it, you know. And uh, it's it's interesting because in my in my sort of transformation, I mean, I, I just see there was this kind of one way that I was living my life, and I refer to it as kind of like the unconscious phase, you know, where I was just drinking a lot and just using whatever drugs, and you know, it was kind of like the maybe typical kind of average uh, escapism kind of way of, of going about life. Then I had a, a, a transformational experience and I, and I got this, this full total, you know, healing package, you know? Uh, and now I feel that I'm kind of operating in a, in a different frame of consciousness. I never would have thought this before in the pet in the past. I never would have thought that that was a possibility, but it is. And bringing us back to ceremony and community and connection with people and the environment and the plant medicines is that that whole kind of total package is, I think, what I owe to that transformation and what I see a lot of people owe to their, to their transformations as well. Um, yeah, you, you, um, you mentioned, uh, the Sananga Dieta before. I wanted to kind of, that was interesting. Um, can you explain a little bit about, about that? That, that I never, uh, I don't know much about Sananga. Sure. The, first of all, in the Amazon, there's lots of different kinds of medicinal plant healers, and they're usually named by the kinds of plants they work with. And so you have your ayahuasca shamans that are called ayahuasqueros. You have your 
uh, tobacco shamans that are called tabaqueros. You have your tree shamans that specialize in the medicinal trees, typically in the use of the barks and the roots, and they're called paleros. And then you have uh, these people who practice with sanango. And sanango is, there's a number of varieties, and you can specialize in a single variety or you can study from many varieties of them. But it's an entirely different ceremony and experience than ayahuasca. It's also visionary. It's a master teacher plant for sure. Um, it's drunk typically or ingested typically in ceremony where ceremony takes place in our lineage right before daybreak. So three in the morning, you drink. And then it's really spicy. The Uchuk Sanango that we work with means spicy Sanango. And it's really, really spicy, but not a spice of like capsicum, you know, from like your habanero pepper, or, you know, it's a different kind of hot. Mm. And um, you drink it. It also creates purging. It can create purging out the top and also purging out the bottom. And then you go into an altered state through the duration of the dieta. So you drink on the first three nights, and then you usually, you know, come into the sunrise having the visions of the experience. It's usually very light in the the actual visionary hallucinatory expression of it or psychedelic expression, and it's very strong in the consciousness and the presence of Sanango and your awareness that there's this process taking place. And very interesting to Uchik Sanango is that it, it can uh, affect the nervous system in the way that it can make it hard for a period of time to really communicate with the rest of the body. So walking can become difficult. Equilibrium can become difficult. I remember that I actually needed to be helped one time to the, the bathroom. I couldn't actually walk anymore. And some people experience... Uh, you know, pretty extreme forms of very short-term paralysis associated with it, which is fascinating in its own right. And it's said to be healing or medicinal or curative for the nerves. It's a, it's a considered a nerve tonic here yeah. in the Amazon. And uh, as a master teacher plant, it's, you go through the dieta with it, and then you have to, you know, complete the dieta. It has a very strict dieta. They call it dieta rigorosa or rigorous dieta. So you're only eating a little bit of fish and plantains and some farina, which is manioc gruel during the dieta itself. Mm -hmm. So your, you know, your food has been completely reduced and it's only these, these foods that you're eating for, uh, you know, the duration of your dieta, which could be a week long or nine days long or 15 days long, depending on the lineage you're working with. And, um, it's then, then it comes in as a teacher and it's a very high vibration super super high vibration it's uh related to the frequencies associated with purple and lavender people have lots of visions associated with purple and lavender vibrations and the upper chakras in the you know the the third eye this what's typically thought of as the sixth and seventh chakras and uh there's a lot of work on the brain mind there's a lot of work that takes place really purifying that space and getting the the thoughts that are crossed and creating negativity and drama and difficulty out. And then typically there's a, like we were talking about before, a very long process of life transformation that comes from that dieta. Yeah. And uh, 
you know, there's no way to explain why. That's the mystery and the mysticism of it, right? But people typically experience really deep transformation and the ability to create new decisions for them that can change career path, the nature of relationship with family, and then uh, also their body and how they relate to foods and what they ingest and also their relationships and friendships. A lot of that changes you know, in alignment with their intention over the, the time after the dieta. And I think that that's really important to mention because when people start with the medicinal plants, they think it's only about themselves mm-hmm. at first. They don't really realize like how much change is going to take place with the people that are right around them and then how much more change place is going to change will take place in the area of life that is is much more externalized like work and career direction and you know kind of overall goals or overall individual purpose and all of that i think becomes really clear through sonongo and the ayahuasca ceremonies especially combined wow very cool yeah when you can kind of make sure that your radio frequency is tuned you know that it's that your your uh you know signal is being beamed out clear with a higher positive vibration to it, other people, uh, you know, pick up on that. And that, that's, it's not just about, you know, changing your life and, and all about you, but about the sort of vibrational field, I guess. I don't know when I talk like this, like, I don't know, I'm just talking from like my experience and like what I sense it to be. And maybe, you know, you could chime in and see if you, if you sort of agree with me or what kind of language you use, but that's how it feels to me. It feels like, you know, this energetic frequency that's being emitted once I'm in a place of, of, of wholeness, completeness, uh, healing, love, you know, walking the, the path that it's like, sort of I'm in the the front seat of like the reality creation machine and other people come when I, that I come in contact with it I'm like oh hey I got a seat right here for you too and the more that I'm churning that engine the more kind of synchronicities are happening and doors are opening and I'm attracting other people who are uh, on a similar kind of mission as well and then we can all kind of you know hop in and uh and and dial the frequency up together that that's the way that i feel like i experience it i mean what do you what do you think i i agree i think we can you know mince on words if we wanted to but there's no need to you know it's exactly what you're talking about you know what i hear and what you're saying is that there's an idea of a field and when we accept that there is field and there is energy and there the energy is thoughts and also words and actions and we vibrate and we do have a measurable vibration and we do give off energy and we do admit light. These are all uh, scientific phenomena that have been studied of the body and they've all now been measured and it's all true. We, we are these beings and uh, it, it allows us to update a little bit the concept of who we are as human, but it also shines light on the human experience and the interaction. And so when you have a vibration like that and you have that attunement that happens in ceremony and you're open to talking with other people about that experience, the people are very self-selective. The ones that bond to that experience and want to hear about it and share in it and talk about it are part of that vibration and and it all goes up. Everybody together collectively benefits from it. And you also have the ability to realize 
you know, hey, maybe some of these other people in my life aren't the best people to be in my life anymore. Mm -hmm. You know, maybe that friend's not such a good friend or maybe that that relationship I'm in is not really serving me anymore. And then those people can also go and in a peaceful, loving, nice way, you know, you can you can have an experience of, of a new way of seeing the world and a new way of guiding and directing the, the interconnection of your relationships. And I think what, what you said is so important is the idea of relationship and then the sharing in that vibration. And so when you accept that that's happening and you share it with others and they accept that it's happening, then I think that that vibration expands and the state of consciousness associated with it becomes very palpable. Yeah, and and I think we definitely see in a lot of the things that are going on in the world, like the deforestation stuff and drilling, and you know all these things that we look at as being very negative for the environment, just unhealthy and and just out of balance. That's also a vibrational frequency that's being emitted too, and and can be contagious, right? I mean, people, you can get sucked into that as well. So it's it's kind of these two. I mean, I always, you know, like, I mean, I met I I met my girlfriend at a at a, at a an ayahuasca center and um she had the way that this conversation got started was i heard her talking about star wars so i i sat down i was like hey i was like this is star wars right here you know like we're in this it really kind of boils down to this like light kind of positive vibrational energy and also the one the dark side right i mean what what do you think about that i think that's that's one of the reasons why the movie's so popular is because it kind of boils it down to the most simplistic division of of energy. But I mean, there's also a gray space in between too, right? I mean, we're not always going to be operating on one level of frequency. We have moments where we dip off, you know, where we we get off, we we skip out. So it's it kind of comes and goes, or maybe we can sustain it for a long period of time. But uh, yeah, I mean, I, I are you a Star Wars fan, Hamilton? <laughs> I am a Star Wars fan. Yeah. I am indeed. Do you yeah, ever feel like Star that Star Wars was a, a foundational movie in my youth, and I watched it, you know, as many times as I possibly could. Yeah, I really liked the original, you know, the the Star Wars and Empire Strikes Back and Return yeah. of the Jedi. And one of the things I was looking for when I wanted to find real mystics was someone like Yoda. Yeah, yeah. You know, I really was looking for a Yoda, and I found him in the form of Don Julio who was the elder who taught me alongside Don Alberto, who, you know, continues to work with us. But Julio was 85 at the time that he started my apprenticeship. And so in his early 90s, he passed on, oh. you know, very you know deep into his age as a, as a master. Mm. And uh, he really represented a focal point of knowledge that was about, you know, the energy of the place and the consciousness of the forest. And he held that place for me very much like uh, Yoda to Luke. Yeah. 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 It's, I mean, it's just, uh, it's great that we have, you know, messages like that in the the culture, because I think it's a, it's important for people to sometimes jump onto maybe, you know, if you're not exposed to this kind of stuff, but you see something like that, you can res it resonates with you on a deeper level of, of maybe what is kind of taking place in the world. I mean, I wonder, is that what, is that kind of, how you view things, uh, that there's sort of light workers, people that are working on the light side, the energetic, uh, positive vibrational frequency side. And then there's, you know, dark sorcerers that are using black magic and, and, and things like that to kind of create, uh, the dystopian world that we don't, that we don't want to see. Is that, is that kind of a, I don't know, is that a, a accurate way to think about it? 
Yeah, I think there's a lot of people with different intentions in the world, and they fit all spectrum. And our notion of light and dark is a way of understanding. You know, I don't, I'm not sure the energy on its own without human participation has that as part of it. You know, I, I look at the forest and I see the forest grow and I see the forest die and decompose. And I also see the forest predating on itself as well as like, para, like parasites all everywhere that are part of the forest itself. And so life has bloomed this incredible diversity. And then we as a population of humans within that field of life have, you know, represented that diversity in this idea of polarity. Mm -hmm. And uh, based on that, we set our intentions and it has a commonality. And so, you know, the nature of darkness is part of our mythology and it's part of our fear. It's part of the, the greatest concerns that we have. And it's also a refuge for a lot of beings and a lot of people. Mm -hmm. And they, for whatever reason in their life, choose actively. It's not just uh, a whim. They choose it. They decide that they're interested in those pursuits and those concepts. And, uh, you know, some of them manifest on large scales and some of them are, are on much smaller scales. Like, I really don't think the question of dark sorcerers is really that big of a deal. There, there's very few of them in the world that are very powerful. Um, most of them would be thought of as some kind of sociopath or psychopath mm -hmm. that ended up in the mystic arts. And, um, you know, they, they do have some kind of power. And there are governments in the world that are very believing in those kinds of arts and try to harness those kinds of forces. It does happen. There are stories of that that, you know, you can hear that isn't a conspiracy or something. But um, I really think that that's more limited really in its scope than something that's really widespread. Maybe in a period of time in history, it was more widespread, but it actually is, is more limited. What I see with people and those energies is a lot of jealousy and a lot of envy mm. and a lot of hungriness for power and uh, need for wealth and then a kind of greed that's associated with it and uh, very little concern ultimately on the mass impact that that's having. I'm not even sure if, if the collective understands the mass impact that it's having. Right. Yeah. There's, you always hear people say like, well, it's just one person. It doesn't matter. You know, or if you like maybe throw your trash on the street or whatever, you know, people say, oh, what, what's one, one person going to matter? Or what's one person going to do? But really, I mean, I think it, and it's cliche to say, I mean, you know, people have heard this over and over, but every little bit counts. Every individual action and participation adds up to the greater whole. Um, and, you know, I think that's, that's where I like to see things going is kind of people being more aware of this, more uh, open to voluntarily take part in it. Because I agree with you. I think that that is kind of innately, there are just people that most people want just to be, live happy lives and, and be good, but they get kind of wrapped up. Do you, do you see that as, as happening? Like it's like they get wrapped up in, the, in jealousy and envy. Once you start down the dark path, forever will it dominate your destiny. You know, is, is that sort of the, what, we, what, what you're seeing, this kind of like lure to the easier way or the immediate gratification, that sort of thing? I think immediate gratification is a big part of it. I also think, though, that there's room for redemption. 
Yeah. And that you can make a new decision and change your ways. If we were all, you know, condemned by having experienced darkness, I think we would all be condemned. Mm. I think we all coming that the idea of a purge, the idea of releasing, the idea of learning is a kind of redemption. You know, I think socioculturally, everywhere I mean, that I've been in the world has this uh, very binary, very dualistic way of looking at life. There's this idea of good and there's this idea of bad. There's this idea of light and this idea of dark. And uh, it's ultimately your decision, you know, how you're going to approach that, those qualities. And for some reason, which, you know, I don't exactly know other than just to say evolution, the, the world has gone down a direction of power and, and the ability to wield that power and control in lots of different ways. I think many of them are absolutely necessary, and some of them are, you know, in, in other ways very abusive, whether it's to the environment or whether it's to uh, entire groups of people or, or individuals. Yeah. And, you know, there I think that that's where people are really ensconced in their mythology and really captured in their belief systems. And they don't even understand that they themselves are participating in anything greater than the ego and the drama that they're experiencing, you know, in their own right. And I think for the species as a collective and humanity, you know, this idea of light and becoming aware and awakening has to happen on a much larger scale. It doesn't have to happen, you know, immediately. It's not like, you know, a mass enlightenment awakening, but it can be, you know, inventors and forward thinkers and people who really are are interested and concerned for the collective whole and the total, you know, expression of humanity to be able to bring forth changes and ideas that ultimately guide the population to resolution instead of continued destruction. But, you know, currently we see the the nature of what looks like infinite predation, and whether that be for you know the killing of animals or in environmental resources, you know, it doesn't really matter. It's just a, a collective group that has a direction and a desire, and it's been institutionalized in very real ways. And the institutions at some point are going to have to address uh, the nature of reality. Most institutions that I know are not very <laughs> proactive right. in the basis of, the, of how they're constructed. And so, you know, there's, there's disaster relief measures instead of, well, let's try to come up with a way to not have the disaster in the first place. You yeah. know, and then there's a lot of reasons for why that thinking doesn't work. You know, medicine is measured in how many lives are saved. I would like to measure medicine in how little need there is for it. Mm. Because if your population is really healthy, there's no need for medicines, you know. So it's not, hey, we found the next medicine for the next disease. You know, how do we ultimately learn how to to be in the planet and, uh, you know, deal with disease in a way that then all of a sudden we need less medicines? And, you know, I just don't think in terms of our evolution, we're there yet as a collective group and, you know, as humanity. And I don't want to point fingers at any one group. I really do see it as a collective evolution. You know, tribes are not the answer. Tribal people ultimately grew into empires. Right. And empires ultimately grew into to civilizations and civilizations ultimately grew into city state governments. And, you know, there's this this constant continuous evolution 
and I think as it as the population gets larger, the notion of how we fit into that collective becomes even more important. Right. Yeah. Like as the as the vision gets larger for the ceremony of life, there's more you know there's more collaboration. There's more learning to be had. There's more information to be connected to, and we're gonna have to kind of you know we're gonna have to work our way through that. Uh, if we want to advance to the next level, which I think you're referring to is something that maybe we haven't seen before, that we haven't done before, that we haven't tried before, but we have the potential to to do that, right? It's not about going just to, you know, live in the forest and totally detach from society and go back to the old ways, nor is it about kind of just sticking to the ways that we have now. I think oftentimes we just get caught, you know, individuals, society as a collective, we get caught in doing something one way and it's like, okay, well, this is the way we've always done it. So we're just going to keep doing it that way. Or, you know, we even have limitations to what we can think of, right? If you don't agree with, you know, if you don't agree with, uh, Bernie Sanders, then you're, 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 you're evil. If you don't agree with, uh, Trump, then you're a, you're a socialist, you're evil, you're this thing, you're that thing. But, uh, but there's a whole realm of possibility here that we could be working towards to unlock a whole new evolution and development of, of the species. And just because it hasn't maybe been done before, doesn't mean it can't happen. Right. And, um, yeah, I think that, uh, that's why I think about renewability. Yeah. Sustainability. Renewability and sustainability is, is the future, right? When, when all of these, you know, quote unquote, destructive technologies were invented, they were not thought to be destructive at that time. Right. I know that that's hard to believe, but there was literally no research. It was an explosion of discovery and an explosion of innovation. And there's still an explosion of discovery and innovation going on. And there's also now the continued ritualization and continued institutionalization and use of different means of our own self-organization. So right now that's very fossil fuel dependent, you know? There's this conspiracy in the world that fossil fuel companies were shutting down all green technologies by buying them all up and not utilizing them. And, you know, I present a different idea, which is those companies are ensuring their future, whether it's right or wrong to do so. But when they know that fossil fuels will be exhausted and when they are, those same companies are interested in still being companies moving forward and their growth and development. It's not like one company is going to supersede and take over for another. And those that hold those patents are going to ultimately end up being green companies. I think in the future, we're going to see companies that were 100% polluters ultimately become 100% sustainable as that need becomes ever more present and pressing. Yeah. But like I, mean, I said, yeah, based yeah. on the, you know, based on the, the nature of infrastructure and the nature of evolutionary change being very slow and often multi-generational, you know, we're not going to see those changes while, while the collective group is still uh, self-organizing and, and persevering and preserving on one way of being. Right. You know, so right now it's fossil fuels and at some point it'll have to be something else. Right, right. And I think I, I agree with you because it's like, you know, obviously companies want to make money, so they're going to go where the demand is. And as the awareness in the population increases about the right kinds of ways to be going about doing things and fueling things and energy and all this kind of stuff, I think that uh, where the demand is created, then the supply will, will meet. And so that's a, that's a good thing to be hopeful for, right? 
I think so. You know, I think that renewable ideas are new. Recycling is new. And it's very easy to take an idea and say, oh, that idea should be this way through the whole world. Uh, it's not, you know, these are, these are really new ideas. It was in my lifetime where in California as a child, when curbside recycling came into being, mm. you know, as a young person, I had organized curbside recycling in our neighborhood. And then one year I could no longer do it because it was now state mandate. You know, and everybody now was going to curbside recycle. And I had actually organized my whole neighborhood on the day that they put out their trash because it would get collected the next morning to separate their trash. And we collected all of their recyclables. Oh, wow. Amazing. And then we recycled it. Yeah. When I was, I started it when I was five with my brother who was seven. Oh, that's so cool. And so for, yeah. And so that's a, how new is that idea? That's during my lifetime. It's such a new idea to be thinking that way. And that's just recycling. That's just saying, hey, this thing can be used again in a new way. You know, so these, these ideas that are coming out now about renewability and about sustainability, and, you know, they're not mainstream ideas. They're coming out of a need from mainstream problems. Right. I think they need to be given, you know, a little bit more time or another generation. And then you're going to see even more proliferation as those ideas become, in the macroeconomic sense, profitable. Right. You know, right. the biggest. Yep. Of goods around the world. Hey, sorry, uh, Hamilton, I, I lost you. So you said the biggest thing was. Oh, yeah. I said the biggest thing is that, uh, you know, it's, a, it's about pricing and about goods and the way that they're shared around the world. And so as long as sustainability and renewability is more expensive, it can't be adopted. You know, it's just, it's just a fact. As long as sustainable ideas and renewable ideas cost more than the current way of doing things, you're going to reach the largest part of the po population that really has no disposable income. And if you have disposable income, that's probably really hard to understand. But the majority of humans in the world do not have disposable income. Right. And the actual economy itself, what we think of as the global economy, is being represented by less than 50% of the human population. The rest yeah. of the human population is still in a, in a subsistence way of living where money has no ability to be saved, and it's, it's being received and traded, and goods are being bought and sold with it, but it's at literally a zero wealth accumulation level. And it's at an astounding rate of poverty. It's, it's at like uh, a dollar, a, less than a dollar a day. And, um, yeah. you know, so if you think about that, less than $365 in a year is your total gross income for more than half the world's population. And so how would that entire group be able to, you know, do things that are sustainable in their nature when they're also trying to compete with as part of a, a you know ever growing third world countries, it, it's just impossible. It's absolutely impossible. And so the nature of those systems are incredibly complex, and it's just going to take more time for the cost of those you know of these new methods to come down to the point that they can be adopted. But as soon as they're profitable, they'll be immediately adopted. Yeah, no, I'm so I'm so glad that we went in this direction and we're talking about this because it's such a hugely important thing. And I think, 
you know, doing doing what I do and and <clears throat> being uh, you know being in the world, you know, living in a city and you know just different kinds of ideas that I'll talk about on the show or people I'll meet. It's just I don't encounter that world. I have encountered you know I've been to third world countries. I've I've experienced that way of of life. I've immersed myself in those cultures. But I think for you know coming back and then just plugging into your regular world and for the average person kind of going about their day, I, you know and I I just I see this too in in the kind of growing community of people interested in the kinds of things that we're talking about and. It's uh, we really are privileged to be to be talking about these things and to be going after this stuff. And I've always thought of it as you know I'm one of these questions that have um, uh, that have come to my mind was about you know going to the jungle to drink ayahuasca, right? And there's this idea of like, well, yeah, here's these like what you know whitey Western people who got to come down here because they're all screwed up and they're screwing up the planet, so they need to you know heal and 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 go and 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 use the land and the space and and the time of the indigenous population and then go back and uh, you know the kind of footprint or whatever they're fl- you know flying planes here and ayahuasca tourism and this whole thing but it could be it could be painted in a negative light or we could be saying hey how lucky and how privileged are we that we get to have this opportunity to do these things but then with that comes this responsibility i feel to speak for the people who can't speak you know for for to, to do the things to bring it back to helping the people who are just operating at subsistence level living you know and like you said majority of the world you know we're very lucky to be where we are and to have the resources that we are and um yeah i i i just think it it's an amazing thing and the work that you're doing with the sustainability aspect of it and helping facilitate you know mind expansion and heart expansion and soul opening up for people that's uh that's a great gift because then if these people are inspired to go do these things then we can create this this greater equity i think in the world right i do you know the question is what drives change and the fact of the matter is the shamanic cultures are changing the world's changing and i know people have painted the idea of westerners going to tribal societies and groups as a negative thing but i don't see it that way you know i was trained as an anthropologist and I see that that it's a natural extension of a sharing of information and a sharing of culture and ways of going about life that's inevitable. The planet has become global. Globalization took place in the 90s and early 2000s, and it has extended everywhere that I've ever been. You know, so even in the furthest reaches into the Amazon that I've been or the furthest reaches into a desert has in one way or another been affected by uh, technology and modern tools. Yeah. And so I don't think that that's something that we can shy away from. And on the contrary, we need to embrace it and really get the best out of it. And I think the most important part of this renaissance in the neo-shamanic revolution is the understanding that people are having gro- growth-oriented experiences. They're becoming more innovative. They're becoming more creative. They're becoming better people through these experiences, and that by definition is positive and ultimately supportive for the greater collective. And, you know, there's this great question in in thinking and in consciousness, which is where does the invention come from? You know, where where does that come from? We don't have it yet. And then, boom, it's there. And it came through us and the mind, and it came through this interconnection of earth and consciousness and our abilities as 
innovators and inventors to come up with something completely new. Yeah. And you can always create a binary or a dualistic interpretation of that. Is electricity good or bad? Well, we wouldn't be having the conversation without it. <laughs> right. You know, and we wouldn't have figured it out had we not understood lightning. Well, if you I know, was up so, if, if I was up to Julio's level, then I could um <clears throat> communicate with you telepathically like you guys have. So, but I'm not there yet. That's true. That's <laughs> we, true. we wouldn't have been little. able to record it though. <laughs> That uses a different kind of, you know, interconnectedness of the same electrons. Right, right. You know, it's, a, it's an interesting phenomena, for sure. But, you know, I think that anything that helps the greater innovation of the, of the people and humanity is actually something to be embraced. Yeah. Right? If, if we're evolving in a way that's positive and we're bringing innovations that are helping the collective be able to be a collective, I think that that's better. Whether it's still a world like we have now... Or if it changes in the future, I don't think that that is a, a single concept. You know, the way the world is today is based on systems that are very young in human evolution. Mm -hmm. And if we think about it in terms of Earth evolution, it's even younger. So Earth has been evolving for billions and billions of years in the same way that we count time. So if you use a clock to count time at all in your life and you understand the idea of the past, and you can go back in the past. You can come to a way of utilizing that skill in science to understand that the universe is billions and billions of years old, and uh, the planet is billions of years old, and life is over a billion years old. But humans are, in terms of the archaeological record, at the oldest, somewhere between 280, 300, and 400, 450,000 years old. And maybe that'll get pushed, and new evidence will come that we've been here even longer. Maybe not. We just don't know. That's the beauty of the frontiers of, of anthropology. You know, but yeah. understanding that the the things that we're talking about in terms of the planet, like fossil fuels and climate change and uh, traveling around the world to have shamanic ceremonies, that's all so new that, um, you know, there isn't a, an evolutionary history for it. We just have to continue to learn and ultimately try to do our best and share that best with everybody. Yeah, we're definitely babies learning how to walk and like uh yeah, anytime you know you introduce like a new shiny object to a baby, they freak out and they're obsessed with it. My little nephew is I can't believe he's how obsessed he is with the iPhone. I mean, I can believe it, but he shouldn't be. It's it's very uh it's crazy, but it's the you know, that attention to it and in the grand scale of of humanity and what we've been creating in terms of collaborating with the earth and the cosmos and everything we're very young to this party like you said and we're and we think we're the pinnacle and we're not there yet you know uh and we're going through the motions uh history has been sort of uh to use the metaphor of like a, a ceremony where we have challenging experiences difficult experiences but uh if we can grow and learn from those experiences then we can kind of integrate uh, a whole new level of of uh of human civilization or the species. Um, that's, that's the way that I, I like to think about it, at least. Um, and I think, you know, to a certain degree, that is kind of what we see is happening. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's an amazing thing to see. I'm wondering, like, what, from growing up, you made such a good point before about, you know, this, this world previous to, like, the 90s and 2000s, this was more of an isolated world. We, we are in much more of a connected world now. So it opens the door to possibilities that we can't uh, yet imagine. But uh, 
learn it's part of that evolutionary process right like learning and growing uh and kind of fully blossoming and blooming into the potential for the species um so that transformational shift from that time period before to now what what is that uh how has that kind of informed what you do and and maybe you know what does it look like for you in terms of like a vision for the future well, you know, for us, it's a it's an embracing of technology. Blue Morpho wouldn't exist without uh, many different industries that exist. You know, air travel and the internet; those are the two major technologies that made Blue Morpho possible. And then, uh, in the modern sense, and then we have this beautiful blend of these ancient technologies like ayahuasca and the ceremony and these other forms of healing that have been around for you know thousands of years. And so for us, you know, we continue to embrace the technologies that exist and the ones that are uh, growing and, and new and just looking for a way to be able to use them in a way that is continuing this idea of the evolution of the planet and the evolution of consciousness and hopefully something that is incredibly supportive to individuals as well as the collective, you know. And so we've been embracing blockchain technologies. And um, the new the new forms of uh, computer science based technologies, and looking how we can utilize blockchain and smart contracts and token systems to be able to support a greener future for the planet and for people. So much so in terms of creativity and entertainment and digital use and digital consumption, as much as for the environment and uh you know land and ultimately it's sustainable use for the people yeah can you uh just mention a little bit more about the blockchain technology and the tokens is that something that uh, people can go and find and gain access to is that something that is in the works right now or yeah in terms of our own projects we're in the process of coding right now we have a project called source independent entertainment Mm -hmm. and it's a blockchain entertainment platform that is to designed to help the creation of digital content and digital content creators not only be able to create their content at a higher level and easier, but also to be able to monetize it in a way that gives them a true global fair market value for the impact that their content is having on viewership and popularity. And uh, that's something that's been really important for me ever since I got involved in entertainment. In 2012, I started an entertainment company and a studio designed to start to bring the shamanic elements into uh, the creation of digital content and digital art. And what we were confronted by was really more tech difficulties than the art itself. So as a company, we were constantly, you know, uh, dealing with all of the different difficulties associated with the actual ability to produce high-level content. And it's very difficult to do. Mm-hmm. It requires a, a team. You look at like a movie, at the end of a movie, the team that was involved in that movie and the cost associated with that movie, or you hear about the what it takes to, to produce an album and the cost associated with producing an album. And I think that those costs are greatly out of reach for a lot of really impressive, amazing artists in the world that don't have a way to be able to share what they create. And so we as a company, we're, we're dealing with that ourselves. And uh, we noticed that a lot of other artists that we work with that, you know, cliche, the starving artist was also suffering in their own right. And so we were looking, you know, for solutions. And ultimately, we found them in this idea of smart contracts 
and the blockchain, which is a new form of technology. It's not the internet, although you access it through the internet. And um, it's this it's this intra-web of people that are hosting projects and utilizing computing power to be able to support, you know, larger scale projects exist, which I think is fascinating in its own right. But then there are these new technologies involved in it, which uh, one of them is called smart contracts. And smart contracts are a fascinating technology that changes the way people engage in agreements. And I think the simplest way to describe it is an agreement between two people that now the, the platform or the computer system actually enacts. So it takes out the, the third party in terms of dispute, but it also takes out the individuals in terms of uh, gr the, the agreement and the fulfillment of the agreement itself. So when you enter into a smart contract on a platform, the platform itself is now going to uh, ultimately fulfill the contract, not one side of the party or the other side of the party. And oh, so amazing. I think that that's an, a really evolutionary technology. You know, you think about in terms of just, you know, normal global capitalism and how many contracts are created every single day. I mean, I don't even know how to count how many there are. I'm sure there's a, an actual exact number, but it's it's impossible to count. And this is a new way of forming agreement. And um, I think in entertainment, one of the biggest complaints that I've heard about is the fairness of uh, payment and royalties associated with artists' work. Right. You know, and the timeliness of that. And so those were all things that we wanted to look at for artists. We were not thinking of ourselves as a disruptive platform or anything like that. We thought of ourselves as an evolutionary concept to be able to help artists just like us that were, you know, based out of small studios or individual creators to be able to have a space to be able to make that creation easier and ultimately get more value for it, or even any value, because I think most of the art in the world goes unvalued, not even undervalued. <laughs> I think oh, people yeah. don't yet have a marketplace or a way to to really expand on that. And from what I've seen, you know, since the digital revolution took place, uh, people are just finding more and more ways to use it, yeah. right? More ways. Uh, 10 years ago, podcasts weren't as big as they are now. Blogs weren't as big as they are now. Social yeah. media wasn't as big as it is now. All of those are, are creations out of this technology. And so I think the, these technologies are, are very new. They're only three, four, five, six years old. And um, I think they, they many times are getting confused with the idea of cryptocurrencies like Bitcoin um, that have their own purpose in the world, but are very different to companies and projects that want to utilize the blockchain to really bring efficiency and fairness to the to the expression of their platforms. And I know of now, you know, a number of companies in different industries that are doing this. It's an ever-growing part of our technology. And I think it's going to be truly evolutionary and something very positive, uh, you know, in terms of this idea of contract and fulfillment of contract and knowing that there's fairness in the relationship between um, individuals, including clients and companies and, and workers for that company. And it also brings a whole new notion to the idea of freelancing. Right. You yeah. know, if you can be fairly valued for your ability to freelance, it gives tremendous flexibility to the ability to earn. And um, I want to do everything I can to help foster that creativity in the world. I think, like I said at the beginning, it's our ability to invent that is our ultimate solution 
and going back to the old ways of trying to remedy problems isn't going to work for the, the biggest problems facing humanity today. And I don't just mean it by a problem like a negative. I also think of a problem as something to be solved. And, uh, you know, that's where I think the direction in green technologies and the direction in entertainment and uh, digital is so important. Oh, amazing. I'm so happy that you shared that because I just learned a ton from that. And I can relate. You know, I create this podcast and it's just me. Right now it's me and you, but it's, you know, it's, I do all the everything for it. So I don't have any team. I don't have anyone helping me, but you know, it's just, it's, uh, it's an intimate, uh, project. It's, it's close to my heart and it's something that I like to share with the world. And so, you know, there's so many people out there that are doing things like that. And now we have the, the ability to leverage this technology to do those things. And what you're talking about here with the blockchain and with these new agreements, you know, we're going to need new agreements if we're expanding wider out into this interconnected collective world in which we're trying to collaborate with each other to make the cream rise to the top so we can kind of, you know, solve some of the bigger, more complex problems that we face. So it's a wonderful, amazing, thing, leveraging this technology to bring humanity back to, to its soul and to give, you know, creative expression and, and good art out to the world. And that's just, that's the thought, that's the thing, spreading the message, sharing it, uh, you know, putting your, your experience and your expression out there, hoping it resonates with other people and inspires other people. You've certainly done that. You know, the first time that I asked you to come on the show is because I was inspired as a hell by, by things that you've said and, and by the work that you've done and the stories that you've shared. Shared. And so, you know, that's impacted me. That's impacted this show. The people that listen to the show, that's it. that impacts them. So as we expand out, we're going to need greater tools to help foster better relationships and, and better agreements. So it's amazing. Thank you uh, for, for, for sharing that. Um, you know, uh, before I, uh, yeah, and, and this, we're going to wrap up soon, but, but I just um, had another thought where you're talking about inventing and stuff. And I remember Steve Jobs was talking about um, this study. He was looking at this study and it was about uh, the efficiency of locomotion in species and who was the most efficient at getting from like point A to point B. So it was like all sentient species on the planet and ranking them. And, and the condor was number one. The condor is uh, the most efficient at locomotion from traveling from one place to the, to the next. It expends the less, uh, the least amount of energy and gets the, mo the, the furthest distance in that time. Uh, but he mentioned how uh, a human being on a bicycle, because like human beings were further down, a human being on a bicycle far exceeds that. Uh, so it's this idea of like us inventing these tools to propel us and lift us forward into new ways of being and, you know, really kind of like embracing that uh, for for the change that we that we think that we can make in a, in a positive way. So I just thought that, that was a, that was a kind of cool. Uh, thing that he that I remembered from that, um, but yeah, I'm, uh, I I thank you so much, Hamilton, for coming on the show and talking about all the things that you're working on and you're involved with, sharing your your wisdom from your experiences, working uh, at you know being a part of Blue Morpho and and serving the people that come down there. But yeah, all right. Anyway, we'll we'll wrap up now. But what I'll say is I'll just give you any kind of like final 
final thoughts. I don't know. You know, I have a lot of people that listen to the show who are a little bit younger and they're coming into just learning about this kind of stuff. You know, they hear me talk about ayahuasca and mushrooms and different kinds of things and sharing my experience on the show, guests that I bring on. Uh, any, you know, kind of final thoughts maybe to, to people listening out there in terms of uh, uh, a larger... Uh, I don't know. Well, I don't know what to call it. Like final thoughts, message, vision, something that you could share for uh, for some people who are just starting to kind of come into awareness of, of these uh, medicines and, and healing modalities. Yeah, I would just say to embrace the curiosity and the desire to continue to learn. And so if you have curiosity and you're interested in learning about these you know, plants and the experiences that they can provide, and then ultimately utilizing them for good in the world and sharing that with other people, then seek out really good experiences. Like we talked about on the podcast, how to find the right people and good people. And if you like the message that I provide, come to Blue Morpho and see us. And, you know, we've been doing this for 17, 18 years now. Wow. And so we've had a tremendous amount of time and thousands of ex ceremonies of experience. And, you know, come meet us if you feel inspired and we would love to help guide you and show you how these experiences can positively affect your life and continue this idea of this ever expanding, ever growing curiosity and inventiveness and also the ability to heal and transcend our personal difficulties so we can become those people. Yeah, amazing. Thank you so much, Hamilton. And uh, where, is there anywhere else where people can find you, follow you, uh, stay updated with uh, what you have going on? Or just, you know, um, I know I think I, I follow, uh, I think it's Blue Morpho on, on Instagram, but, uh, she, you know, kind of shows your what you're doing down there and, uh, you know, sharing your journey as you go on. Are there places where people should go to, to check you out? Yeah, check us out at bluemorphotours.com and source independent entertainment and uh, we have a youtube channel that you can check out for source independent entertainment as well that has now hundreds of productions uh, that we've created from our own studio that's part of launching this decentralized community and uh you can also follow us on social on facebook and instagram all under the name blue morpho and you know join us we'd love to have you well there you go folks that was great thank you so much hamilton again it's uh it's been wonderful so good to, to reconnect and, and talk with you again and uh thank you so much for for spending time with me and and the mikeadelic crowd here all right guys that's it peace out i hope you guys enjoyed that conversation as much as i did hope you guys like these podcasts and enjoy them and if you do please spread the podcast share it Tell a neighbor, tell a coworker, tell a friend, tell a cat, tell a mouse, tell a dog, tell an ant, tell a firefly, tell whoever you tell. Share it, spread it, like it, all that good stuff. If you if you really love the show, you want to go a step further, you really want to help us out, leave a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts um, and go to patreon.com, patreon slash Mike Brank and um, patreon.com slash Mike Brank. And you can donate as little as a dollar a month, $2 a month, whatever you want help support the show that way as well but remember i love you guys no matter what you do i just love that you tune in and you enjoy these podcasts message me i like hearing feedback get in touch with me on instagram mikeadelic podcast mike brank on facebook as well and um thanks to our sponsors synchro and hemp bombs if you want 
a discount on keto, genic, and plant-based nutrition products, go to Synchro and type in the code uh, Mikeadelic at checkout to get 20% off. And they have amazing ketogenic chocolate fudge called Keto Mana that I have all the time because it's it has like no sugar and carbs in it. So it's great. And, um, and it's delicious. And if you want CBD, uh, go to hempbombs.com and get 15% off all your CBD needs, I guess. And uh, just enter the code Mike15 at checkout. But thank you once again to everybody. Thanks to Danny Barnett and Galaxia for the music, the intro and the outro. I love you all. Peace.